Let's take God's word together this evening and turn to the New Testament book of John, if you would, please. John chapter 3. And I want to look just briefly tonight at this most famous portion of God's word. And it is considered one of those passages of scripture that uh, is the, the most famous. Martin Luther, when considering the 16th verse of John chapter 3, called it the Bible in miniature. And you may know that verse quite, quite clearly, quite well. It is the most singularly, the most well-known verse in all of Scripture. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I'm going to look at some of the verses prior to that, but I just want you to think about that one verse for a moment. The Bible in miniature is what Luther called it, meaning you could sum up all of Scripture in that one verse. That God so loved the world, meaning that God had pity and compassion upon the state of humanity. God looked upon this world in love and recognized that all of mankind was perishing. That's what it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth should not perish. Meaning, we are perishing. Now, I want you to look this way for a moment. If tonight you've never been born again, then you are perishing even now as I speak. It's not that one day you will perish, you are perishing now. We are born into this world and the moment that you enter into this world screaming and crying as a baby, you begin to die. We know that. It's a morbid fact, but it is a fact nonetheless. We like to imagine that we hit about 20, 30, and we get into the prime of our life, and that's when we're healthy and strong. But the truth is, many never make it to that age, do they? I stood before a family of mourning, a group of mourning family members this past Thursday for a young man, 25 years old, who was killed in a car accident. Think about that. He had not yet reached his prime in the eyes of many people. And every time we go to a funeral or stand above a grave, we are reminded how brief this life really is. It reminds us that very soon we also shall find ourselves there. It might be tomorrow, it might be next week, it might be next month, but soon and very soon every one of us shall breathe our final breath and bid farewell to this world. The scriptures say it's appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. The great problem is not death, but the great problem is standing before God after death. Having to give an account for the life we've lived. I wonder this evening, as you think about that, are you ready to answer to God for the life that you've lived? You see, this is the concern that a very intelligent and religious man had when he visited Jesus one night. A very religious man, in fact, the scriptures tell us that he was a ruler of the Jews. He was very religious, but yet he was still dead in his sins. I know a lot of religious people, don't you? And uh, they're not just religious because they be Jewish or because they be Buddhist or Hindu or, or Muslim. I know a lot of people who call themselves Christians who are just very religious. That's it. Very religious in their practice.
practice and very methodical in the way that they live and they try to do everything just right and tick all the right boxes and they try their very best to do everything externally right but there's still a problem inside. In fact, the problem is really that everything is external and nothing has ever taken place internally. And so here comes a religious man to Jesus and he says unto him in John chapter 3, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night. We know why he came by night. He was afraid of what other people would say if they called him talking to Jesus. I think that's true of a lot of religious people. Is that they know something's wrong. They know something needs to change, but they're afraid of being seen by other people by showing an interest in that which is true. They're afraid of what others may think, that they're getting a little bit crazy or a little bit wacky or they're losing the plot. They're afraid that others may condemn them of going off track of their religious ways. So Nicodemus did not let that stop him. I still admire him that he did not let that stop him. He still came, although it be under the cover of darkness. The Bible says he came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, meaning master, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. Would you look here for a moment? You know, most of the world would acknowledge that. Nearly every religion acknowledges that Jesus was indeed a teacher come from God. I don't know very many religions who would deny that. In fact, nearly every religion on earth would acknowledge that Jesus was indeed a good teacher come from God with a marvelous message. But the problem was that that was where Nicodemus's understanding stopped. I know, he said, we know that thou art a teacher come from God for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered him and said unto him, I love this. He hasn't asked a question yet. But yet Jesus, knowing his mind, goes ahead and answers it for him. Verily, verily, truly, truly. Now, if the Lord Jesus says something is true, it must be true. By the way, he could not be a very good teacher if he was saying something that was not true, right? So here is this very good teacher come from God telling a truth and he prefaces it with this. Truly, truly, it is doubly true. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so this whole reason for Nicodemus coming to Jesus was because he recognized that his religious pattern was not enough. That all of his good deeds were not enough. And he was a good man. He was a Pharisee. Nobody kept the law like he did. I'm sure he was good to the poor and I'm sure he helped people out and I'm sure that he gave his money freely and he, he, he followed God as best as he possibly could. But still, there was something missing. And Jesus hit the nail on the head. Except a man be born again. You need a new birth, he told Nicodemus. There was one thing that caused the great awakening to be thrust forward in the 18th century. There was one message that was pre being preached up and down this land by the likes of George Whitfield and John Wesley and many other of those 18th century preachers. That one message was the message of the new birth. That caused, by the grace of God and the Spirit of God, like we'll see in a moment, that caused this nation to be turned upside down. Because man, preachers got back to preaching this. But a man had to be born again. 
Prior to that, there was a big thrust on outward religion. Just going to the church, going to the chapel, and crossing yourself, saying your prayers, and lighting the candles, and the incense, and, and uh, kneeling for a little bit, saying all the right prayers that have been written for you already. No heart, no feeling. Nothing more than an outward exercise. Jesus said, you've got to be born again. And Nicodemus said unto him, now can I just say for the moment, there's the truth that we're going to focus on tonight. Here is the one truth. If you don't ever get anything right in life, get this right. Because if you do not get this right, your eternity hangs on this truth. Whether or not you see God in heaven, whether or not you spend eternity with Jesus Christ or spend eternity suffering away from Christ in hell depends upon this one truth. If you've ever been born again, you got to get it right. This is what every man needs because every man is born broken. Every human being in this barn tonight and everyone watching on the live stream tonight, we have been born broken. And it doesn't take us long to see that. I don't, I'm not saying that when a little baby is born that little baby has sinned. It hasn't even grown enough to know how to sin. But I am telling you that everything, all the potential and capacity lies within the heart of that little baby, that little infant. And give it enough time, it will soon join the ranks of the other 8 billion people on this planet. Give it enough time. Oh, there is no such thing as a perfect infant. That child, that little infant has not had the opportunity yet. As soon as that little baby begins to grow, his nature begins to be seen and felt around the world, doesn't it? Leave a little infant grow for a while and watch. Pretty soon that little infant thinks that he is number one and that the world revolves around him. I've got one that's not an infant any longer. He's now a toddler. But you can be sure of it. He imagines that this whole world revolves around him. It's interesting. I know a lot of adults who think the same thing, don't you? They've never grown up from that. It's in our nature to think that we were born into this world so that this world could do everything for us. So that this world could serve us. That's our nature. Give me, give me, give me. We don't care who it is and we don't care uh, what they're like. We have this nature inside that is broken. And it doesn't take long to see it. That is why a man, a woman, a person must experience the new birth. They need new life. Because the old life isn't cutting it. Some people say, well, I'm quite happy with my life. I may not be perfect, but I'm quite happy with my life. But the problem is God's standard is perfection. So some people, you may be happy with your life and you may be happy with how you're getting on in life and how successful you've become. And you don't really have that many problems at the moment and everything seems to be okay. But the day you die and stand before Jesus, your perspective will change entirely. The scriptures tell us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He goes on to tell us that the wages of sin. I, I know a little bit about wages. Every once in a while somebody doesn't quite understand the role of a minister or a pastor. And they say, have you ever thought about getting a job? And I smile at them because they have no idea. 
But I do know that uh, if you work a job and, and you agree to a certain set of requirements, then at the end of a week, or perhaps at the end of two weeks, you will receive your wages. That's what you deserve. And the scriptures say that the wages of sin, what we deserve is death. And not just physical death, but spiritual death and eternal separation from God. That's the penalty of our sin. Because God is perfect. He's holy. He is altogether above mankind. And we cannot enter his presence because of our uncleanness, because of our sinfulness. But that is exactly the reason Jesus came to this world. Because God understood that we would be separated from God because of our sin. And the only way we could ever, ever be reunited with God, justified before God, made right before God, is if our sin was dealt with. Some of you tonight are still in your sins. You're still in your sin. You're not right with God. And if you were to die tonight, it would be a terrible day for you because you have not, your sins have not been dealt with. The Lord Jesus gives a man a choice. You know that he basically tells us this, that you either pay for your sins by spending eternity in hell yourself by paying for them or you bow the knee to Lord Jesus, King Jesus. And you believe that he paid for you. There is no other way. Somebody asked Jesus one time, uh, Jesus was talking to the disciples about how he was going to go, go leave this world and go to his father. And he said, you'll know the way. And Thomas said, Lord, we don't know the way. And how, how do we get there? And Jesus said, I am the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus went on to say this, No man cometh unto the Father except through me. You want to get to God? There's only one way, only one road, only one tunnel. It's through Jesus Christ. Jesus said in another place, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. There aren't four or five different doors. Contrary to popular belief, people say, Well, every road leads to God. Wrong. Jesus himself said it. God told us that there only be one way. It's not God being mean or cruel. It's God providing a way, opening a door and saying, come. But it's just like man to say, I don't really like that. I want to try my own way. It doesn't work. Nicodemus said unto Jesus, trying to figure it out, he was confused. He said, well, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? I'm a little bit confused here, Lord, Rabbi. What do you mean be born again? How on earth can somebody be born again? And Jesus explains this little dilemma. He says again, verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. We understand that. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Now look here. Christ isn't speaking of a physical birth. He's talking about spiritually. You need life. New life. Because your mind is twisted and dark and your heart is broken black and broken because of that you need a new heart and a new mind and you need to be reborn in your spirit the majority of humanity has never experienced such a rebirth they've never experienced such a new birth Jesus explains that a man that which is born of flesh is flesh 
We've had six children born of flesh. We give thanks to God for that. That's easy to understand. And then he speaks about being born of spirit. Because we understand clearly that uh, humans give birth to humans. And dogs give birth to dogs. Contrary to what some evolutionary ideas may be. Cats give birth to cats. That's the way that it goes. And that which is spirit. The spirit gives birth unto spirit. Well, how can a man be born again? And Okay, okay, I understand. I understand that I'm broken. I'm sinful. I know something's missing inside. I know I'm not right with God. How can I be born again? Jesus tells us something very interesting in this text. He says, the wind bloweth where it listeth, wherever it wants. We've learned a little bit about wind in the last few days, haven't we? And it is true that the wind goes wherever it wants. The, blend, the wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. You don't know where it started, and you don't know where it's going to finish. You can hear it. You know it's there. You feel it. You can go out and look at the tent and see the evidence of such a strong and mighty wind. Trees on the road. You know that a wind has been there. But you don't know where it came from, where it started, and you don't know where it's going to end. And can I tell you, here's what Jesus is saying. That the work of salvation, the work of God's spirit, of the new birth is just like that. You can't walk into a barn on one Sunday night and decide, well, tonight's the night I'm going to get saved. You can't wake up in the morning and say, you know what, I've had enough of living like this. I think today I'm going to turn over a new leaf and uh, you know what, I'm going to become a Christian today. No, the spirit must be involved if there will be the new birth. If someone is going to be born again, this Holy Spirit of God must be involved. It's not some intellectual exercise. It's not one changing of religion to another religion. It's not Nicodemus the Jew saying, okay, I was a Jew for many years and now I'll be a follower of Jesus. It's not somebody saying, okay, I'm going to hand in my resignation to this religion and sign up to this one. No, no, no. The Spirit of God must move or there is no new birth. There is no salvation. And I'm afraid that much damage has been done because people have gotten you to sign a little card one day. Sign your name here, my friend. You want to be a Christian? Sign your name here and bow your head with me. And now, there you go. You are now a new Christian. You might call yourself a Christian, but you've never been born again. Because the Spirit of the living God must be involved. Nicodemus said, how can these things be? Jesus said, come on. Art thou a master? He didn't really say, come on. Art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen and ye receive not our witness. If I told you earthly things and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? Then he goes on and explains, you know, that story of how Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness and whoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, eternal life. And then you have that famous verse. Because for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I believe with all of my heart that it is the work of God's spirit that helps people to look to Christ and believe. It's the work of God's spirit when you're in a meeting like this 
and your heart, you begin to feel your heart being tugged on and perhaps your heart begins to beat frantically and you begin to feel nervous that, that that's you, you're dead in your sins and you've never been born again and you know that if you die, you're, you're going to perish in hell. And there's a longing and an urging inside to be right with God and, and you begin by faith to look to Jesus who is lifted up on the cross and you begin to see clearly that he died for you. That when he hung on the cross, it wasn't because he had sinned and done anything wrong at all. It was because by his own free will and desire, he put himself upon the cross. He said, no man taketh my life, but I lay it down for my sheep. He laid down his life to save your rotten soul. He laid down his life to redeem you. He took your punishment. That's the amazing thing about the cross. We believe in what some people call the substitutionary death of Christ. That's a fancy term. Here's what it means. That he died in your place. Every once in a while, somebody gets, uh, some people get it wrong. And they say, well, Jesus didn't really die. Uh, uh, when the Roman soldiers were looking the other way, Jesus came down and somebody else took its place. No, no, no. No, no, no. You got that wrong. You see, we should have been there. And, and, uh, and when they were looking the other way, we got pulled down and he went up in our place. That's what really happened. Nobody took his place. He took our place. That's the marvelous work of Jesus that he took our place on the cross. He took the wrath of God, which was headed towards me like all the mighty wind of this earth in judgment. And Jesus stood there and took the wrath of God for me. That I might be saved. And the Bible says, if you believe, you too shall be saved. For God so loved the world. Do you believe that tonight? That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes. Can I ask you this evening? Do you believe? Do you believe that Christ died for you? That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. I love these verses. Could you look here for a moment? These verses tell me that if the world would believe, that the entire world could be saved. The problem is, the entire world will not be saved. Because the entire world will not believe. In fact, Jesus goes on, he that believeth on him, he that believeth on Jesus is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. If tonight you refuse to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, the savior of the world, Jesus says you are condemned right now. And the only thing that has to happen for you to spend eternity in hell is for your heart this very evening to stop. That's it. It's not that one day you will be condemned. It's that right now you are sitting beneath the heavy condemnation and judgment of God. And it's just. It's not that God is mean and cruel and unfair. No, no, no. We deserve it. And we sense it, don't we? We sense that what's wrong in all the world is the blackness of man's heart. We believe it. We see it all around us. That the whole world is troubled by man's sin. Nobody wants to see it personally. He that believeth not is condemned already because 
he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world. Watch this. And men loved darkness rather than light. Because their deeds were evil. Can you imagine you standing before God one day and him saying, Why did you not trust my son? And the only answer, by the way, you will not be able to lie on that day. The only answer that will forcibly come out of your mouth is because you loved your darkness more than the light of Jesus Christ. Because you thought you knew better than God. Because you loved your, your way, your sin. The Bible says, Everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to, to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest thereon. Except a man be born again, he shall never see, never enter into the kingdom. Tonight, some of you need to be saved. You need to be born again. You need new the new birth. Some of you are very religious. And you would believe intellectually and theologically with everything I've said tonight. But still, there's never been the new birth inside of you. You've never had new life breathed in. You're the same. You struggle with the same thing you've always struggled with before. There's no change. You need to be born again. And the only answer to that is to look to Jesus. Believe on his name. So I don't know if I believe enough. Look and look and look and ask God for more faith. Acknowledge that you know salvation cometh from above. Cast yourself upon him. And trust him. I do believe that Jesus meant it when he said that whosoever believeth should not perish. But of everlasting life. But even tonight, it is possible for you to believe and to be taken from off of the road of perishing onto the road of life eternal and everlasting. Let's bow our heads together. I wonder tonight. I wonder if you have been born again. I wonder if you're feel confident that you that have experienced a new birth. You know that you've been born again. Would you slip your hand up and say, that's me. I'm quite confident that I've been born again. Would you raise your hand? Thank you. I wonder if there's anybody here tonight that would be willing to say, I'm not quite sure. I'm not sure that I've ever been born again. Would you raise your hand? Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Look to Christ. Is there a pulling inside? Is there a mourning over your sin, an understanding of your brokenness? Is there a realization that you have sinned against God? Do you understand that Christ died for those sins? Is there a desire to be saved? I think that's from God. Look to Him. Cast yourself upon Him. Throw yourself Upon him, acknowledging that you cannot save yourself. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are mindful that this work of salvation is a work of thy spirit. We know, Lord, that 
Thy Spirit bloweth wherever He wants. We ask of Thee, Lord, may it please Thee this evening to send Thy Spirit here to move and to work in our hearts. People might not just see that they need to be born again, but they might be brought from death unto life. They might be enabled to look unto Jesus. That their faith would be strengthened and increased and they would be able to cast themselves upon thee and cry out like the publican did one time, God be merciful to me a sinner. May they believe tonight that Jesus died for them. Save them, Lord. Have mercy upon them. Open their eyes. Soften their heart. By thy spirit, save their soul. For we ask it in Jesus Christ's name and for his sake.